Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you rejoice greatly, though now for a little while you have may have had, some, had to suffer some grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. All right. Thank you, Chris, for giving us the word tonight. Well, hello, everyone. If we haven't met before, my name is Sarah. I get to be one of the pastors here at Calvary Young Adults, and I'm really glad to be with you guys. As Krista alluded to, we're starting a new series tonight in the book of 1 Peter. And this is going to be a nine-week series that we're all really excited about. If you're, oh, he's starting to, oh. And if you're wondering, why are we doing a nine-week series in 1 Peter? Um, it really came down to this for us. When we plan out what we're going to preach about, there's a couple things that happen. Of course, we seek God. We seek some of you in our community. Ask, like, what's on your heart? What is the Holy Spirit placing on your heart? But then we try to create what it, like a balanced diet when it comes to what we're looking at in the Word of God. And as people who want to serve the Lord, um, there's kind of two things that we've been talking about here at Calvary, and it's this. We want to be Bible-based and worship-driven. We love the worship that takes place here, but we also want to be people that know why we sing the words we sing, why we pray the prayers that we declare, because at the end of the day, we want to know the word of God. And not only that, but when we come up here to teach, we, can, we want to bring you guys in on what it means to actually study the word of God in depth. So that's why we're going into a First Peter series that's nine weeks long, and the type of series this is, is called an exegetical series. You might have heard this before, especially thrown around in church, but basically, exegetical studies are these. It comes from the term exegesis, and it just means it's the process of discovering the original or intended meaning of a passage or scripture. The original and or intended meaning of a piece of passage or, passage or scripture. So how do we do this? Quite simply, it starts with this. It comes with the understanding when we open the word of God, we bring a certain lens to it. And I kind of found like a little bit of a cheesy photo, so just remember this in your mind. When we bring ourselves to the word of God, we bring our own lens. We bring our cultural experience. We can bring our gender experience. We could bring our background in the church or maybe our lack of background in the church. And we start to interpret the word of God in our own context. But responsible exegesis or responsible study of the scripture does a little bit more than that. It starts to ask, what was the lens 
of the original writer of this passage? What is the historic or cultural meaning of the passage that I'm, look at, I'm looking at today? Because inevitably, we bring a modern lens, right? It's so easy to put our own personal experience into the scripture. But when we study the word of God, we want to do our best to understand and honor the original culture, the original context, and really find the original meaning so we can honor what the word of God is calling to us today. So we could be faithful and understand what to interpret or maybe not to interpret and apply, right? So we want to teach you, not just to, like, give you a meal, right? We want to teach you to cook with us. So something we're going to do um, is a little something called showing our work during these sermons. Um, so every time we come up to preach, we're going to kind of peel the curtain back and show you either how we came to a theological conclusion um, or really kind of teach you how do we decide what to communicate when we come up before you. Because as pastors, it is our responsibility, um, but as the people of God, this is our collective responsibility, right, to go out and to preach the word of God. So I just before we get into that, um, just kind of to conceptualize this, who remembers, like, having to do, like, proofs in school, like, math? Yeah, anyone? Okay, so um, I get anxiety when I look at this photo, and I just want to promise you this, like, we're not going to walk through this series and, like, every single phrase be like, and let me show you where I, what lexicon I went into this, right? I was never a math person anyways, but anyways, we're not going to do that as thoroughly, A, because we love you, and B, because this isn't a lecture hall. But I kind of show this good. Someone said, yeah, that's right, this is church. Um, but I show you this, and we want to kind of bring you into our process, um, just to make this clear. And this isn't going to speak for myself, but I know I could speak for anyone who takes the stage and preaches. Um, when I come to the Word, I understand that I don't know everything there is to know about the Bible. And I actually know that I don't know everything there is to know about history around the Bible. Like, left to my own device, I have limited experience and knowledge. Like, I went to seminary, and that was wonderful and rich and exciting. But the good news of when we come to scriptures, this is kind of two parts. The first, so we have the Holy Spirit of God inside of us. So when we interact with the Word of God, we actually have the best coach and counselor and interpreted, right? So don't be discouraged. But not only that, but we have a community. The word of God is meant to be studied in community. It's part of the reason that we do this in church, in small groups. And we have community to ask questions, to work things out, and to really apply the word of God together. We can go to the writing and thoughts of the saints who have come before us and faithfully walked with the Lord. Because you see, God himself is three in one. He's never not done community. And if you look at the word of God, we are never meant to live out any command of the word in isolation. So my ask of you during this series is as we preach, as we go through these little excerpts in First Peter, is this, is to bring other people into whatever text you're studying. Whether that's First Peter with us here, whether it's your personal study, what you're looking at in your small group, bring others in. It could be in discipleship, which is simply pursuing God with someone together, meeting once a week and saying, hey, what are you learning? How, how did you conclude that? This could be in your small group. Small groups are great for community and fellowship and prayer, but really they exist so that we can go deeper into the word of God together and say, how are you living this out? What does this actually look like? And have a safe space to discuss those things. You can do that through commentaries, word studies. Some of you are like, I love that. Others are like, I'll find someone who loves that. Or this can just happen in a conversation in the In-N-Out parking lot, being like, what did you think of the sermon tonight? Did this verse confuse you? Like, how do you actually do this? Because we as a staff, have a privilege of going first in this and studying these passages 
using our resources to equip you, the saints, to be grown and shaped as messengers of the gospel. And that's our, that's our responsibility and that's our joy. So when we preach, we're disembodying these core values. We want to be people that delight in God's word, but we also want to be people that understand that life change and transformation happens in relationship. That anytime we preach, we're going to do this together. We're going to lead out in God's word, but we have the task of applying it in relationship. So let's do this together. Um, open your Bibles to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, as Chris just spoke, and as we continue to encounter the living word of God together. Verse 1 says this, Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. All right, so first thing we noticed, right? This is a letter format. It says Peter to exiles. If you're reading through the scriptures and someone mentions an epistle, all that means is it's a letter. Paul writes letters, Peter writes letters, and they're some of the first disciples of Jesus. And when we hear the term epistle, I just want us to think, like, this is a letter being sent to either a people group or a church. Before we get there, it starts with Peter, right? It's not really, like, a lofty explanation. Who is Peter? Um, Peter was one of the original 12 that walked with Jesus. He gets the title of apostle because he gets sent on mission. And he's actually sent with John to an area called Samaria. That's modern-day Palestine. And part of his mission was to share the word of God and to spread the gospel to people who have not yet heard. So right now, he is, again, encouraging those who are coming to Christ in the different regions. So he is writing from Rome to those who are in these regions. But if you know anything about Simon Peter, you might also know him for some other things. Um, if you've read through the Gospels, he's the one who is the f has the fiery temper, and he cuts off the guard's ear when Jesus is being arrested. Um, and if you watch The Chosen, you might recognize him as this actor. <laughs> but this is a real person writing to real people. And he's writing from Rome to converts who are facing persecution under the Roman rule. So again, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered. For those of you that are visual learners, I also have a little map. So... He is writing to people who are north in the Asian provinces, and he's south kind of in where Palestine or Samaria is. Um, but I really want to focus on the word elect here. I think we can get tripped up on some of this churchy language, but really elect up to this point was reserved for Jewish people. Like God's chosen people, the Israelites, throughout scripture, there's this chosen race, this chosen people that God is preserving so Christ can come through that lineage and then share the good news that all are welcome to the family of God. But the people that Peter is writing to are not Jewish at all. They're actually converts to Christianity from other races, Gentiles. So Gentile just means non-Jewish. Like most of us would be considered Gentiles unless you're like actually Jewish. That's awesome. You should take like a birthright trip back home because it's pretty awesome. Um, but I want to I wanna point out this word because it's culturally revolutionary for two reasons. One, the people he's writing to could have had status. Like, to be a Jewish person at this time, even before Jesus came, you were at, like, the bottom of the social totem pole. So for you to actually choose whether you are a, like, Greco-Roman, um, you're, like, high up in authority, or you're just a different race than Jewish, for you to actually choose to convert to a minority religion was, like, a social sacrifice. 
So it's amazing that these people are saying, you know what, I'm going to sacrifice inclusion. I'm going to sacrifice flying under the radar for whatever this hope that they're hearing and receiving. They're like, this is worth it to me. The second point here about this word elect that I think is just beautiful is that people who are not Jewish are being welcomed into the family of God. They're being elevated to this status of elect. But even those things aside, simply put, Peter is writing to real people living in real discomfort. They're exiled. Peter himself is exiled. There's no, like, hub for the Christian or Jewish faith at this point. It's spreading like wildfire. And he continues to describe these elect exiles this way. Since these elect who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, he says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now again, like elect, we hear words like foreknowledge and chosen, and we're suddenly going to get tripped up on predestination. And I just want to take it back a little bit. So when we, use this, we see this word chosen in scripture, it's often referring to the Christian people. It's common throughout the New Testament. And it's this act of God choosing to call people into a life of eternity with him. Being chosen by God has nothing to do with your own abilities or earnings. And what I know to be true is when we're told in the scriptures that God so loved the world, the world, that includes everyone, right? He gave his only son so the world may know him. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and he loved us. And this is good news for all people. What Peter is saying here is these are people that are chosen. They've responded to the call of Christ. And God knows them and they know God. They, like us, are chosen, but they have answered that call. But I don't want us to miss what's at the end here either. Grace and peace be yours in abundance, he says to them. And again, if you've been around church, grace and peace, these become words we hear again and again. And we're like, okay, I understand. Like, Grace and peace. If you've ever, like, emailed Brian Howard, his, like, caption at the bottom, grace and peace to you. It can get really tired on our ears, right? But this term peace in the ancient world um, was shalom. And if you go to the Middle East today, that's a common greeting, especially within Jewish culture. Say shalom, which means peace be with you. But this addition of grace is actually really significant because it's distinctly Christian. Because when Peter is saying it to this people, he's saying this, it was God's grace displayed in Jesus that made peace a reality for everyone. Again, it's God's grace displayed in Jesus that makes peace a reality for all. So he's not just saying, peace be with you. He's saying, remember the grace of God on your life that Jesus came for you. That because of the grace of Jesus, you can now have peace. And who here, like these exiles, doesn't need a word of grace and peace tonight? like Peter said, grace and peace be with you, YA. Grace and peace be with you wherever you're at. These truths that he's about to share with these exiles, this encouragement, may it be a reminder to you who know Jesus. Like, may tonight be a reminder and encouragement of this great salvation, this great hope that we have. And if you don't know Jesus, may this be good news to you. May this be an invitation to know and be known by him. This is what Peter goes on to say. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who in his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I love that Peter begins in praise. He's like, okay, listen, I know you guys are exiled, but praise God. Like, praise God for the good news that he has sent his son Jesus for us. And in his great mercy, he's given us, what, a new birth and a living hope. 
This idea that God has shown mercy, meaning he's held back something that these people deserve. This punishment for their sin. This idea that he has said, God hasn't let you become consumed by your own brokenness. Jesus took on that punishment for you. And that, my friends, is the gospel. He's starting off this letter strong. He's like, I'm just going to like cut to the chase. Like, thank God for the gospel. And then let me get to the rest, right? Because like, at the end of the day, if you are any form of exile or trial or suffering, like, what do we need more than the gospel, right? Peter knows his audience. He knows these people have given everything to say, I'm with Jesus. So he begins by reminding them of this good news. But Peter uses a very specific phrase that I want us to look a little bit more. Because like this idea of like grace and peace, hope is also a word that I feel like we've watered down in society, right? You talk to a friend, you're like, hey, I hope you're having a good day. And you're like, but do you? <laughs> like, I hope you do well in your test. And you're like, that's wishful thinking. <laughs> like, you know, like, oh, I hope tomorrow doesn't suck. Like, we have just, like, taken these beautiful, sacred, powerful wo- words and just diminished them to, like, base, you know, it's, it's like when someone asks you, like, how you are and your default just, like, good. Like, good, come on. <laughs> but it's the same with hope. And it's actually really interesting because back in this cultural setting, Christians and Jewish people were the only ones who were known to say hope in a positive way. Like the Greco-Roman culture was kind of like us, and we're like, hey, I hope you have a good day, and they're like, cool. But when, when people who are following Christ or coming from the Jewish faith said hope, people stopped because there's something different about it. And there's something different about this phrase living hope that he uses. We're just going to break it down a little bit. This was supposed to be on like a show your work slide, so just bear with me. Um, if you're studying scripture, by the way, like it's great to look up words that you don't know, but try going to words that are really common and looking at them in the original context. Because like Jake was talking about this a few weeks ago, where like in you know the Eskimo language, there's a million words for snow, they all mean something different. In English, we tend to water things down. That can be true of scripture too. Like, looking at the original words and their meaning, it's like looking at the facet of a diamond where, like, oh, my gosh, I missed that. So I just encourage you, again, peace, hope, love, those words, just take a deeper look. Like, we're going to do right now. So this word for living hope, um, it's this word zao, living, in Greek, and it means to be full of vigor, to be fresh, strong, efficient, active, powerful, efficacious. Like, I want that kind of hope. I want a fresh hope. I want a strong hope. And then we move on to the word for hope itself, which is elpis in Greek. And it means this expectation, this trust, confidence. And what's interesting, as I looked into this study, I was like, I need to do a word study on hope because I'm guilty of that too. I told someone I hope they had a good day and I didn't really mean it the other day, you know? So it's like hope, like how do I like read? Not, I did nothing against this person. I was just like, what am I saying? I want to mean what I say. But especially when we're looking at something like the living hope of God, I was like, all right, I'm going to dive into this. So I was looking into some commentaries. That's how I found the Greek words. Um, But I'm going to pull back the curtain here to something really simple that I use. And it's, it's a tool you might have heard of if you've been around church. But it's the Bible Project. Love the Bible Project. Tim Mackey, amazing. Basically what this is, it's this like cohort of theologians and scholars and artists And they take books of the Bible and they break them down visually. And then they narrate over them and they kind of give you a synopsis of what's going on. But they've also got into this like amazing like compendium and library of like word studies and tools. So I did a word study on hope. This is like a little clip of the video. 
And what I found in this was really amazing. So in the Old Testament, there's really two primary words for hope. And I will not bore you with their original names. But essentially, they both meant the same thing. They meant to, they meant to wait. Like, I feel like that's a relatable, right? Like, if someone's like, oh, I'm hoping for something to happen. It's this tension we can feel. One of them actually kind of refers to when you're holding out a rope, and it's that tension right before it breaks. Like, that's the hope of the people of the Old Testament. It makes sense, right? They're hearing all these prophecies of this coming Messiah, the Savior that was going to rescue them and redeem them from captivity, from their circumstances. So it's like this tension they're holding on to. And then you get into the New Testament. And that Savior comes. Jesus comes. And not as they thought he would come, but he comes humbly like a servant. And he takes on the sins of the world and he serves us in a way that they weren't expecting. He gives us restoration of life now into eternity. And he does reign as king over all. And he starts this path of, of recovery, of restoration of the world. But it's a slow work, right? It's not what they were expecting. And this new word for hope shows up. Opus, and it means this. It's more of an anticipation. It's more of a trust, a confidence that something is com coming. And what I love about this is that this isn't just a hope where you're like waiting and it's feeling like tense and stale. This is like a hope that has like resurrected with Jesus itself, right? This is a living and active hope. And Tim Mackey puts it this way. And there's love is phrasing in this video. He said, it's not a hope based on the odds. Right? It's not like, I hope you do well on your test if you studied enough. Like, it's not a hope based on the odds. It's a hope based in a future that's surprising as a crucified man raising from the dead. Like, don't you know that's, like, that is what we have built our entire, like, worldview on. That a crucified man, a dead man raised from the dead. That he overcame death itself and no one in history has done that. <laughs> right? So for the people of God, our hope, again, has been resurrected with Jesus. This is a new hope. This is a living hope for this side of eternity and the next. And it's this great hope that we can live now and we can live differently from before we knew Jesus. This is what Bogdan was talking about earlier, right? That sin and brokenness do not have to rule our lives. That is the hope of Jesus. That we can experience newness of life in Jesus today. That is this new hope of Christ. This is this new birth. This is being born into a new reality and not only that, but over and over and over again until we are with him on the other side of eternity. That our present is made new. That our future is made new. That is hope. That is the living hope that's being offered both to these people in exile who are just so new to this going, okay, how, how are we going to make it through this time period until now? That is our collective shared hope from Christians of the past to Christians today. Because the truth is this, that our hope is no longer based on circumstances, but what Jesus has done for our future and is doing for your present. That is where our hope comes from. But Peter goes on to speak of this future. He speaks of this future, and he says this to these exiles. He says, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that can never, what, perish, spoil, or fade. See, this inheritance is kept for you, it's kept for us in heaven, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of salvation that is all ready to be revealed in the last time. So suddenly he takes it from like, we have this great hope in Jesus to like, by the way, there's an inheritance and there's going to be this like final judgment 
But don't worry, these things are going to be kept for you. They're going to be shielded by your faith in God. God's going to help protect you and shield you to this day. So he kind of takes it from the present all the way to the future. And that's a term for this is just called eschatology. It has to do with the end times. It has to do with life after death, what's, what's coming for us. Because here's the thing about walking with Jesus. It's a call to shift our paradigm of thinking to understand that this life is not all that there is. There's a day coming where we're going to pass away. Sorry. And we're going to come before God who's going to judge the living and the dead. That means he's going to judge all who have gone before us and all will come after us. Because he is God. He is the ruler. He is in charge. And those who are in Jesus, those of us who are in Jesus, he's only going to see Christ and his sacrifice over us. He's not going to see our sin. He's not going to see our shortcomings, our failure. The time we turn from God, he's going to say, welcome, my child. I get to be with you forever where he's going to wipe away every tear where there's no more sorrow or suffering. And for those who have not been with Jesus, who have said, I want nothing to do with you, they get their wish, right? To not be with Jesus, to be internally separated from God. He's saying that there's an inheritance for you if you'll choose it. There's an inheritance of a new life with God that you get to live today that never ends, that starts now, even in this broken world, and extends into eternity, which will be healed and whole because of who Christ is. So in fact, he calls us to hold both things loosely, both the things in this world that are good and are bad. He says, one day this life is going to pass away. There's a great inheritance for you to come. So are you going to hold loosely the success that comes in your life? The status, the money, even the relationships, right? Because you also get to hold loosely the failures, the rejection, the lack of resources, the things that didn't go according to plan. Because in the midst of both those things, there's this anticipation, there's this living hope that, we would, that would bring you strength here on this side of eternity to direct your mind and your thoughts on things that will never, ever fade. That is why it's worth knowing the word of God and the ways of God, practicing his ways, because they will never fail and they will never fade. Here's the truth. You will not need faith and hope in heaven. Why? Those are practices for this side of eternity, because one day your faith is going to become sight. You're going to come before this living God who we put all our love and trust in, and you'll say, man, I'm with you. We're not going to need hope because our hope for everything good and pure and righteous and lovely is going to be fulfilled. You will not need faith and hope in heaven. But what it does for us now is this. Hope anchors us on the side of eternity. It helps fix our eyes into the things that we are longing for. And then what does faith do? Does It shields us. It shields us. It says here in scripture that through faith we'll be shielded by God's power until we get to see this day of our salvation, until we get to receive this inheritance that he has for us. And if you've read through Ephesians, you know any of Paul's writings, this might sound familiar because he talks in other chapters about the armor of God. I'm not going to get into all of it, but I had a lovely conversation with my friend Casey earlier about this, so this is for you, Casey. Um, there's a theme in scripture of faith being a shield. And the armor of God in scripture, because it's set in a Greco-Roman era, um, is referring to the type of armor that a Roman soldier would wear. So this is kind of to give you an insight. These shields are huge. They're huge. And they're not just for the individual. 
you see in these formations, it's faith that doesn't just protect you, it protects those around you. And this is a very intentional picture. And we'll talk in a minute about what that faith can actually shield you from. But I love what Peter is saying to them. He's like, listen, you have all this to look forward to, but here's the catch. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's like, you know, there has to be one water bottle that goes during YA. It's, it's how you know it's not a simulation. Um, so <laughs> Peter says this. He's like, listen, in all these things you'll greatly rejoice. Not only do you, like Jesus came and died for you, you could have hope on this side of eternity, a new life, a new birth, and there's inheritance for you on the other side of eternity. Sounds like a pretty good deal, right? He's like, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief of all kinds. And trials of all kinds. But he's being honest, right? Like, Peter himself is in exile. He's writing to people who are new converts in foreign places where churches are still being built, where the communities are still being built, where they don't have a place like Calvary just to come to and be like, cool, we're Christian, no one asks us questions, right? Um, like, they're going to face trials. And if we're honest, we're facing trials. We, as the people of God, are going to face trials on this side of eternity. Why? Because we serve a king that the world does not recognize. And I'm not here to say, like, we face persecution like our brothers and sisters in countries where it's, like, illegal to even gather in the name of Jesus. But if you choose a life after God, you're going to choose re rejection of all of our authority. And I'm not, I don't mean that in a political way. I don't mean that in, like, a, like, God places authority over us. But at the end of the day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to Jesus Christ. No one else. So my question for us tonight, though we may not be exiles in a foreign land like these brothers and sisters, can you relate to any of the arrows that might be flying at the believers in exile? Like when Paul talks about needing a shield of faith, it's because he says the enemy is going to throw fiery arrows at you. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be grief. There's going to be circumstantial things. But here's just a few that they might have been facing. Rejection. Talk about walking in the way of your culture and then saying, actually, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not with you anymore. Like, I'm with Jesus. Rejection from your family. Rejection from your social circles. Maybe there's fear. Like, I can imagine that some of these, these people who are deciding to follow Jesus, it's, like, so exciting in the beginning. But then there's people who are like, hey, like, that's not cool. Or like, hey, that actually might cost you your life. Fear can start to creep in. Anxiety. Like, what if, was this the right thing to do? Doubt. Like, I don't know about you, but as a follower of Jesus, like, I have doubts. There are days where I'm like, is this, is this legit? And I'm not the only one. Like, you can read throughout scripture. But it doesn't end there. Because what Peter is trying to encourage them, he's saying your faith is going to shield you from, from these things, from these arrows that, are, that will come at you. Like, this is a promise. So my second question is, can you relate to the need for faith rooted in the truth of God to extinguish those? Like, do you need, I need faith. I need to come back with these statements when I feel rejection to say, no, I am accepted in Christ. Like, scripture tells me that I am accepted. When I have fear, no, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. I need to bathe myself in scripture. Anxiety, this is a big one that I deal with. No, Jesus can give me peace that surpasses understanding. Why? Because his word says so. Because I've experienced in my life, because I have the Holy Spirit within me. Doubt, 
No, the Lord desires for me to seek him and find him in my doubts. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to seek God, to seek others and say, Lord, I want to find you. And he says, seek and ask. The doors will be opened. But like these exiles who are in suffering, who are having to use their faith as shields, who are having to go to the word of God or their knowledge of God again and again to say, no, I'm going to cling to the hope. I'm going to cling to this new and living hope. I'm going to cling to my faith. They're discovering this, and this is true for us today. Um, Suffering burns away false hopes. Suffering burns away false hopes. Like when you are in suffering and you have the choice to actually cling to something, you're going to find out fast what's going to actually sustain you, what's actually going to uphold you. Is it going to be status? Is it going to be pleasing others? Is it going to be your financial protection? Is it going to be in other idols or gods or even ideologies outside of Jesus? You're going to find out fast what truth is. See, when we're forced to put the truth of God into practice, his words, his ways, we quickly learn, bless you, what lies are and what truth are. <laughs> I feel like you can't not say bless you. Um, but here's the good news in that too, right? You find out what truth, like that's, that is valuable. But God's heart for us is not to suffer ultimately. How do I know this? Because we're told in scripture again that when we enter into eternity with God, there's going to be no more suffering. There's going to be no more pain. It says Jesus himself will wipe away every tear. Can you imagine being comforted by Jesus? Like in his fullness and seeing him face to face. Not only that, but he's too good to waste our suffering on this side of eternity. We see this as Peter goes to encourage the exiles in verse 7. He says this, These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So, of course, looking at this, I'm like, how hot does it have to be for gold to melt? (laughs) Um, And I learned this. So lead melts at 327 degrees. Silver it takes about 1,000 degrees. Gold will only melt after 1,063 degrees Celsius. This is insane. And what Peter is saying in this moment is that, okay, not only does it take extreme heat to melt gold, but he's saying that your faith can endure more heat than gold. That your faith tested can endure more than this. He's like taking this extreme example to be like, you can endure Why? Not because you can muster up enough faith, but because of the one you have faith in. You have the God of the universe shielding you. You're saying, God, I trust you. I can't fully see you in this moment. I'm not even feeling all that close to you. I don't have the warm and fuzzies, but Lord, you are God over the whole universe, and you will shield me in this circumstance. That is where our faith comes from. And here's the truth in that, too. How we respond to suffering can strengthen our faith and our witness of Jesus Christ in this world. It's true that it's easier to endure suffering when you know there's a purpose, right? When you know there's a purpose, and when someone tells you, I know it's easy in the moment to be like, there's gonna be a purpose in that. I don't encourage you to actually use that when someone's like in grief, like everything happens for a reason. But you can say, God's not gonna waste your suffering. Like this is hard, but God will not waste it. And it's also easier to suffer when it's for the sake of someone else, right? No greater love is there than this, that he or she that would lay down their life for their friend. And I think the question that I need to be asked when I suffer and that I'm going to ask you is what if someone came to know Jesus, period, 
or more because of how they watched your response and suffering. The hope that you cling to, and I say cling to, because we've all been there and it's not like, oh, watch me hope as I'm going through the hardest season of my life. Like it's messy, right? Like clinging to hope is messy. Using the shield of faith for yourself from the enemy can be difficult. There's days where I'm like, I don't even want to open my Bible because I'm too overwhelmed. But the next day, right? And the next day and the next day, maybe someone needs to see that in your life. You wrestle to say, God, you are so good. Knowing your suffering will not be wasted. And I can say to you, like, God has used some of my darkest moments in my life to bring hope to other people. And that's made it worth it. 100%. The deepest betrayals in my life, deepest shame in my life. To look someone in the eyes and saying, God is good, and I'm with you, and I know what that's like. And he has proven himself faithful again and again. Because the reality is this, too. That's how we came to know Jesus, through the endurance of these faithful exiles. Like, we are standing here today because these apostles that were sent out to do something new, to spread the good news, to start churches, to preserve the gospel itself in writing. Like, we are here because they remained faithful. They remain faithful. And that's why I get to stand here and preach to you. That's how the word of God kept spreading. That's how the people of God and the church kept growing. So we can give praise and glory and honor to Jesus and knowing that he sustains his people. That's going to be the precious day, right? Where if we get to eternity and we get to praise God and say, God, thank you for sustaining me. Thank you that I get to be here. And on that day, we get to stand with those people, with those exiles alongside us and say, thank you, Jesus, together. So here's the reality of today for those Peter was writing to and for us. He says this. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Hebrews 11 tells us that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the things that we cannot see. Like we love Jesus, right? Though we have not seen him. Why? Because we've taken his word and we're saying, God, this is true. For me, like Christ has been my very present help in times of trouble. Very present help. And I love that Peter talks about joy. And we're talking, this is kind of an aside. Um, I'm going through marriage counseling right now. It's great. We're learning a lot of things. Um, <laughs> you know, it is really great. But we're doing it with Pastor Dick Thompson and his wife. And we're talking about this concept of joy. And he's saying that, like, like Peter, it's great. Peter's like, things are hard, but you should be joyful. Joy cannot happen without the interaction of two people. Like, you cannot have joy in isolation. And studies show that a lot of joy comes from how people receive you, like just even in their face and their facial expressions. It's like, Lauren, it's so good to see you. You know, like when someone comes up to me and uses my name and is like, I'm genuinely glad to be with you. There's this chemical release in my brain. It's called joy and it sustains me. And that's why in scripture it talks about the joy of the Lord is our strength. And in the study of the word of God, we talk a lot about his presence, right? Like the presence of God. I'm going to meet in the presence of God. But that's actually been translating from the term face. Like the term for presence is interchangeable with the word face of God. Like when we meet with God, we actually meet with him and seek his face. When God it whispers to you, my child, I am so pleased with you. I am so here. I'm going to walk this with you. I'm going to be with you in this trial. And that's the joy that sustains us, right? 
That's why it's like we haven't seen him, but we know him because we invite his presence into this place. So we're seeking his face. We're seeking the joy that's found in the Lord. And we also rejoice knowing that our burdens will be lifted and our name's going to be cleared at the end of the day. We love Jesus even though we haven't seen him because we've experienced him. We've experienced the validity of his word, the truth of his presence. I'm just going to end with this. This is my last, like, show your work thing. Um, oftentimes, when you're going through scripture and then you have to, like, preach a sermon, you're like, oh, my gosh, what, like, what point should I, like, land on? There's so, like, scripture is so rich. There's so many rabbit holes I can go down. You guys have experienced that. But I had a professor, and she gave me this prompt, and this was really helpful, and I'm going to share it with you. So now you don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to take home in this class because thank you, Dr. Lamb. Um, but it was cool. Before we actually put together a message, she had us do all these exercises just to sit in the word of God in our, in our own time. And this is one she had us start with. It's basically this. It says, with the passage open, so 1 Peter 1, verses 1 through 9, and a journal open, ask yourself, why am I really glad that this text is a part of the canon? The canon just means being included in what we know today as the Bible. Why am I really glad this text is part of the canon? And what good news does it reveal about God? How do I resist that? And how do I welcome that? And this exercise is, is kind of taking this word and having the scriptures be out here to like right here. Like why am I, Sarah Swinsky, glad that this text is actually in the scriptures? And I'm just going to share what I came up with. But I would encourage you to do the same anytime you're in the word. I am glad that this text is part of the canon because it tells us how God equips us to endure the side of eternity, right? This life is hard. <laughs> it's hard, especially when you increase in your relationship with God and you're like, wow, I'm really not made for this side of eternity. Like, that's what Paul talks about where he's like, if it weren't for you, I would not be with you. And I have days like, <laughs> if it weren't for y'all, I'm just kidding. But, um, <laughs> No, God has purpose on our life, but truly, like, I'm like, wow, God equips us. Like, this new and living hope is actually what is going to propel me until however many days I have on the side of eternity. Then I get to receive the joy and the blessing that God has. It, like, puts fuel in my tank. How do I resist that? Okay, this is, this is vulnerable. I resist that when I let suffering become an enemy to my faith rather than refinement. And I can be a baby when it comes to suffering. You can ask well, you ask many people. You ask my fiance. But um, I, like when hard things come, sometimes I'm like, I spent all day in the word of God and I still just want to curl up in a ball and just <laughs> spiral. Because <laughs> um, it's true. Like I, instead of seeing suffering as like, I mean, suffering sucks, right? It's never going to be like, yay. Um, but if I can, I can frame it as it's meant to be framed to say, God does not waste my suffering. This may hurt. This might be brutal and difficult for a time. But it actually, I'm told in scripture that my faith is going to be tested and actually be refined for my sake and the sake of others and to the glory of Jesus. And if my whole life, like if you can boil down the purpose of the life of a Christian, it's for the glory of our Jesus, right? So suddenly it's like, okay, I'm okay with suffering. It's not my favorite. It's not what I want, but it's going to end and it's got to have purpose. But I resist that when I let my suffering become so large. Oh, I'm so off track. My whole life is going to fall apart now. That's not true. That's the enemy. That's when I need to take my shield of faith or have a friend come over me and be like, you're spiraling. <laughs> Let's speak the word of God over you. Okay, and how do I welcome it? 
I welcome it when I remind my soul of the hope I have in Jesus that defies circumstance. Like, I welcome this good news when I'm like, okay, this might suck in this moment, but my Jesus surpasses these circumstances. He can give me peace that surpasses understanding. He has a hope for me. He has the power to work things out in ways that I could not in my own ability. When I see my friends suffering or something happening in the world where I'm like, God, you have the power to make things right. I'm actually going to trust you to do that. I can endure. I can endure. Because, again, life is hard. But I would encourage you, you, if you want, try it on. Try to use this practice in your own time. It helps me become a better communicator when I could actually articulate why is this important to me? Why is this truth actually important in my life and not just some hypothetical thing that I can get up here and tell you about? Okay. So I want to close with this. It's an invitation to you. Um, For those of you who have not put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to receive what Jesus has. Like truly, truly, this living hope that he has for you, this new life where you are not tied to your circumstance, where you're not tied to the sin where you're saying, I'm never going to change. Nothing in my life is ever going to change. To encounter this living hope, again, that Christ has for you. And if you're going, I don't even know what that looks like. I don't even know where to start. Welcome. It starts with a prayer before God to saying, Lord, you are Lord and I am not. I want you in my life. I want to figure out what it means to follow you, to have faith that surpasses my circumstances. And I'm going to invite you to receive that in a way um, through prayer. We're going to have some of our prayer team in the back behind the tech booth. I'm not going to have you stand up in this moment. Um, But during the second set of worship, worship, please go engage with them. Pastor Brian Williams will be back there, some other friendly faces. And they can lead you through that prayer. They can listen to your heart of repentance and just say, I'm with you. And then get you connected to resources and ways to continue to walk with the Lord. That's why we exist as a church. We're going to walk with you in that. The second invitation is this. It's for those of you who know Jesus, who have been following Jesus, but feel weary. Where you're like, man, I might not be in exile in a foreign land, but I am beaten down. My struggles feel far greater than my faith in this moment. Like, you don't understand what my circumstances right now. I feel heavy laden. There's good news for you. That the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective, and we're not meant to do this alone. So your invitation, too, is to go behind the text booth during the second set of worship. Go up to someone and just say, hey, I need prayer. You could be specific, or you just ask them to pray for you. The Holy Spirit knows what you need. But we want to be people that minister to one another, that come alongside each other and say, hey, this is not just a one-time thing. I'm walking with you. Even this is the first time that we're talking. I am here to support you, to pull my field of sh- or shield of faith over you in this moment when you feel like you need it. So let's take this moment, talk to Jesus in your own heart. If you need prayer, please go behind the tech booth. Um, but let's surrender to this good God who wants to strengthen us tonight. And rejoice in the living hope that we have in Jesus. Lord God, thank you so much. God, thank you that you understand our weakness. Thank you, God, that you wanted to provide something new and glorious and different, God. Jesus, thank you that you say that our hope is living, that it starts right now and it goes into eternity. Lord, I pray that you would show us what that means, God. We want to give more of ourselves to you and understand you more. You're so worthy, God, of our lives. Pray that we take this moment to serve.